You know, as we sang that last song, uh, one of the lines in there says, yours is the glory. And I've, uh, I don't know that I've thought as intensely about that statement as I, as I did in that moment. Why do, we, why do we make those proclamations? Why do we make statements to God saying, yours is the glory? And, and I think in part it's because we have the propensity, we have the, the leaning towards and many times to give ourselves the glory, to, to take full uh, credit for the gifts that he freely gives. And I don't know about you, but that, that song to me is just a very uh, moving, uh, lyrically song because it, it encapsulates the, the gospel in truth. And the name Jesus is above every other name. And, I, and I'm just so gracious that we uh, and, and, and so thankful that we get to just uh, gather in a, in a place like this on a Sunday morning and, and speak his name and, and sing his name. So this morning you've got me uh, to, to bring the message because our pastor is in Guatemala and uh, we had some technical difficulties. Uh, we originally had a, another plan but we had some technical difficulties with it and so I, I'm here with you to, to share just a, a brief word uh, I want to say thank you for those of you that came out yesterday uh, and helped us do the Christmas outreach. This past weekend, uh, I was actually in Atlanta uh, celebrating Christmas with my family, and Friday night we went up and we saw some close friends, and then Saturday uh, we had brunch with our family, which uh, my, my wife is one of six, and so that family has grown and grown over the last several years, and uh, now it's just like a house full of babies. And uh, which is just uh, an amazing sight until nap time, and then it's just cries everywhere. Uh, but we came home late last night, and as we were driving home in the wonderful weather that we've been having this season, uh, the guy in front of me, I noticed his brake lights were on, but yet he was moving forward. And I look at Amy, and I go, like, who drives with their foot on the brake and the other foot on the gas? Because he was clearly accelerating. And, of course, I was a mechanic, so I'm over here, well, maybe there's something wrong with the wiring and the lights are just on. And I'm like, no, this guy just doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he's, let me just get the heck out of here because he doesn't know what he's doing. But it made me think, how many of us do that in our lives? And, and what I mean by that is how many of us are, 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 we have our vision, we have our eyes looking forward and we're, we're pressing in, we're leaning into the things in front of us, maybe the blessings of God. Maybe, maybe we're looking towards 20, 2019, and we're setting goals, and we're going, oh, man, that's going to be the best year ever. But then, maybe out of insecurity, maybe out of a lack of faith, we also have our foot on the brake. Instead of going all in on, on the things that God has promised us and the, the things that God has told us will be ours and putting our foot on the gas pedal and leaving nothing behind, how many of us have both feet on both pedals? And in many ways, we're saying, God, I, I believe your plan. I trust your plan. But I want to have a fallback that I can control. I find myself in that place sometimes. I find myself, you know, just kind of in the, in the, in the, the quiet time and in the prayer rooms of my life going, God, I want to believe this truth. I want to believe the things that you have coming for me, and the things that you've spoken over to me. Zephaniah even says the things that you've sung 
over me. I want to believe these truths. But as Paul tells us, there's this battle of the flesh. There's this, there's this fallen battle that we fight every single day where our spirit as Christ followers is new. We're a new creation. But yet our flesh is holding us back, is, is causing us to doubt. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you, because we won't have it on the screens, uh, to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read a, a very familiar story, a story that you have likely read um, or at least heard several times, depending on your background. This may be the first time for some of you in the room to, to ever hear this story, but most of us, uh, I, I would imagine, have heard this story several times. And uh, this past uh, weekend, uh, it, it's interesting how, how God does things. Uh, Pastor Jerry and I don't necessarily plan our, our sermon schedules together, uh, but last weekend, uh, he, he kind of preached and he talked about being still and hearing the whispers of the Lord. And then that evening, I spoke to our students about the stillness and the silence. And, and we read through the Christmas story slowly and, and, and kind of in a meditative fashion. Because I think oftentimes the Christmas story becomes exactly like that. It becomes in our heads just like another Netflix Christmas movie. Or Hallmark Christmas movie. It's a great thing. We know it. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I found myself even reading this passage. I would skip over sentences. Oh, because I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. But what would happen if we kind of slowed down and read this story, the birth of Jesus, exactly like it is, a a history, a, a, a recounting of the true actions and the true story of our Savior being born. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. And this isn't like registering for like, you know, babies, you know, babies are us or whatever. This is, you know, like a census. Just make sure we're all on the same page here. You know what a census is, right? I don't have to explain that. Okay. Number two, verse two. The, verse, the first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So these these two engaged couple, uh, the census comes out. They've got to travel. Uh, Joseph has to get his pregnant wife on the back of a donkey and travel several miles. For any of you ladies who have ever been pregnant, you have a whole new appreciation for Mary because that's intense. And gentlemen, for those of you who have ever been on a pregnant woman, we have a whole new appreciation for her and for Joseph. Right? Because we, we understand what that is. That's, that's a difficult task. Mary, who was engaged and was pregnant, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And in verse 7, then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him, and snugly, wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the inn. 
There was no room for them at the end. So uh, Mary and Joseph travel great lengths. They, they are going because uh, Rome at this point, over the entire Jerusalem, over that kind of entire area, says, hey, we want to we see who's in town. We want to see what this populace looks like. And so they, they take a census. And so they, Mary and Joseph, they get on donkeys and they travel. And, and I'm sure it was a, a very difficult uh, feat for them to do that. They get to Bethlehem. And at this time now, she's, she's pregnant. She's dropped, like baby's coming. And they're like, okay, we got to find a place. We, we've got to find a place for our son to be born. And I can only imagine what Joseph's feeling in this moment. Because just weeks, months earlier, Joseph's like, man, this girl cheated on me. Right? Like, I mean, he's having these thoughts. Like, we ain't even married. We haven't even, you know, made the, the marriage happen yet. And she has a baby. And yet the angel comes to him and says, no, 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 this, this is a very different situation. Just slow, slow down, slow down. This is the Messiah. This is, his, his name's going to be Emmanuel. So Joseph kind of gets on board, but I can imagine even through all of this, he is still struggling. He's still, he's got his foot on the gas, but there's probably just a, an inkling, a part of him that wants to put his foot on the brake because he just probably is struggling with faith right here. I mean, put yourself in, in these shoes. It's a very difficult place to be. And so Joseph and Mary, they make this long travel. They get to this place. No doubt they start asking, hey, hey, we need, we're going to have to give birth. Where's the local hospital? That was where you chuckle. Thank you. So there's not a local hospital, right? So we got to find a place to go. we got to find a place to give birth to our children. And no doubt they are absolutely knocking on every door. Hey, hey, do you have a place? Hey, hey, do you have a place? Hey, hey, do you have a place? And there's no room for them in the inn. Because why? Because this is during census. So there are several dozens, hundreds, if not thousands of people rushing to this town to check in for Caesar Augustus. And so they're all joining at the exact same time. This is a place, even if they would have gotten a room, what would have happened to the prices? They'd have been, you know, skyrocketed. And here's Joseph just trying to take care of his wife and his newborn child, and there's no room for Jesus in the end. When, when we think about our lives, many of us are, are, are very busy people. We have children. We have full-time jobs. We have hobbies. Our children have hobbies. Our children's friends have hobbies and birthday parties. And then there's like all the other stuff in between, the messy stuff. How often do we look at Jesus and his church and the principles and, and all of the things that he tries to teach us? Do we look at him the same way the innkeeper looked at his father and his mother? How often do we look at Jesus and we say, hey, right now, there's just not a lot of room in the inn. There's just not a lot of space in my schedule. When I talk to people about, hey, what's God doing in your life? Or, you know, what's your quiet times look like? Or, or what, what, what's going on with, with, with your faith journey? The number one reason that I hear for maybe a, a lack of growth or a place where they're at a place where maybe they don't want to be, the number one reason is, man, I'm just really, really busy. And, and, and I, I feel that. 
I mean, even as a pastor, I talk with guys all the time. You know, I get paid to read the Bible in a sense. But one of the things that we challenge ourselves as, as, as staff and, and mentors that challenge me in my life is that time ain't for you. When you're reading the Bible, when you're preparing a message, when you're cross-referencing Hebrew and Greek, which is not fun, by the way, um, th- those moments aren't for you. You're, you're p- preparing, you're shepherding your flock. So how are you being shepherded by the great shepherd? We, we like to talk on staff about this idea of never asking more of our volunteers than we ask of ourselves. And I've talked about this with several people. If, you know, our volunteers work 40-hour jobs, and then they come, and many of them serve, you know, jobs on Sunday mornings. Garrett was up here at 7 a.m., uh, making sure all the sound was great so that when Brooks strummed his guitar, Brooks just sounded amazing. And that's Garrett. Not that Brooks isn't amazing. Brooks, we love you. But Garrett, you know, sound guy. We, Brooks could be the greatest thing in the world, but if Garrett's terrible, Brooks is going to be terrible to you. So that's just how it works. But we have volunteers who, who pour their time into this place, and, and we, we look and we, we pour our lives, and, and, a, and as staff, we go, man, look at all the opportunities that we have to, to minister with people, to, to say, oh, we're busy. But no, what, what we need to do is what, what Jesus has not only modeled for us in his life, but commanded us to do is to, to take a step back and to say, what is the priority in your life? And I think even in this very first story, this very first story that we see of Jesus, he makes it very clear that the priority of his life is that not that we just move some things around so that we can fit Jesus into this in this thing that we call life, but that our life is molded by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then everything else finds itself, finds its room in the end. And that's a tough place to be. That's, that's a tough place in life to say, you know what, I've got this thing going, I've got that thing going in, on in my life, and I'm pressing forward, and I'm trying to strive after the Lord, and I believe who he is, I believe what he says, but I've got all of this going on over here. I've got all of these brake lights. I've got all this urge of my flesh to kind of hold on to things. And I think this message that Jesus sends to us directly from his word, because his word says he'll never come back null and void. It is sharper than two, uh, than any two-edged sword. It is the breath of God straight to us. And what do we know about the breath of God? That it breathed life into a body of Adam. We, we believe in the power and the authority of Scripture. And so when we see this truth, that there was no room for the end, there was no room in the end for Jesus, and our humble Lord was birthed in a manger, in what some might consider a cave. When he was birthed there, we get this picture that it's not our job to just, ooh, there's, there's, a, there's a piece of the pie right here where Jesus can fit. No, it's our job and our responsibility to recognize the glory of the Lord and say, he makes everything work. So when we sing what a beautiful name is the name of Jesus, it's a whole new vision. It's a whole new idea, not to say that sports and not to say that hobbies and not to say that school and all these other things in our life aren't important, but what is important is to derive meaning from those things at the center point of Jesus. How do I parent? I parent 
understanding the gospel and understanding Jesus and how would he raise my child? How would he direct me to raise my children? How do I be an employee? I look at the principles of Jesus and I say, how do I work? I don't work for my boss necessarily. I work unto the Lord. And so for for many of us, this Christmas season, I think the the urge to kind of just treat this story like any other story is very prevalent in our lives. But what I want to encourage us to do this morning and really this season is to sit and remember that when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't have his foot on 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 the brake. There were times, certainly, he looked at his father and said, hey, do I really have to do this? Like, is this, I'll do your will, but I really have to do this. And yet, he went forward, full throttle. And then he looks at us as his followers. And, and this is, a, if you ever get a chance to read John 17, this is one of the, the, the most beautiful prayer moments in Scripture. And Jesus, right there in that moment, prays for the unity of his church. Praise for the unity of his followers and that we would keep the main thing the main thing. That Jesus would be at the center of our lives. And so with Christmas season and all of the shopping and the busyness and the the bad drivers out there, what if we could keep the main thing the main thing? How much more jolly would we be? How much more joyful would we be? Those, those people that we maybe invite to a Christmas Eve service, they wouldn't just see a really colorful flyer, but they'd see a colorful person. They'd make a heart connection with a person who believes that there is the power of life change when you walk into these doors and the gospel is proclaimed over them. I mean, how cool would it be if we had people on Christmas Eve service that evening that prayed to receive Christ? That would be the greatest Christmas gift I could think of. Much better than the socks and the, you know, underwear and undershirts that you get, right? Or the cool car or whatever. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. That somebody is now going to be with Jesus for eternity with me and hopefully with you. That's the coolest gift I can think of. And so maybe this season, that's what we need to be praying for. We need to be praying not, not just for our lives. Maybe you're saying, hey, I don't have a problem with the, the, the brake pedal. My foot's on the gas. And that's great. So with your foot on the gas, maybe be praying for the person on your left and your right. We want to create a mentality of home here at Piedmont. So the person on your left and your right, not just your spouse, but maybe two seats over on your right or your left. How are you praying for them? How are you encouraging them in their walk? Because for some of us, Christmas is tough. I lost my, my best man uh, a year and a half after I got married. My best man got in a car accident and died a year and a half uh, after my, my wedding, and it was December 30th. And so every year, I think about that moment. And, w- and what's more, I mean, he, he was a great man, and I loved him, but what I think about more is his parents that have outlived him now. And I think about how the Christmas season for them is a tough season. Yeah, they were given the greatest gift of all time through Jesus, but in many ways they lost a gift on December 30th. And so we need to take those things into our hearts and be lifting up our church, our home, and the people around us so that, so that when we encounter them that we have 
a place of humility, a place of, of love, and, and a place of knowing where the true joy comes from. Because this season isn't just about some story. It's not just about the Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. It's not just about whatever. It's about the greatest story of ever. It's about Jesus who came down. And even though we said there was no room for him in the inn, he created a place for room for us with him.